it's been really nice to have uh, Bob and Jocelyn with us. Uh, pastors uh, used to be at Central, then moved over to the North Point, and now he's in our district office, and he's uh, doing a lot of coaching and uh, encouraging uh, pastors, and uh, actually he works with Christopher and I as well, and uh, pours into our lives. I always knew that Bob was a smart man because uh, he, 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 he uh, Jocelyn comes from the same place my wife comes from in St. John, New Brunswick. And so I, I know he, like, he has to be a good guy, you know, that he was smart enough to grab one of these beautiful ladies from St. John, New Brunswick. But anyway, it's a pleasure to have both of them there here, and I believe that both of them are going to share a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, let us welcome Bob and Jocelyn. Well, good morning. It's interesting being at this level up here after being down at this level down here. Uh, I think typically I would normally like to be down at your level, but I'm kind of uh, vertically challenged, so uh, people can't see me all that well as well as Pastor Duane, so I thought I would come on up here. It is uh, great to be with you today. It's a privilege when a pastor shares his congregation or her congregation uh, with, a, with a guest. So uh, this time is precious for me, and, and you are important to me. And I, I've loved working with Pastor Dwayne and Christopher, and uh, we've been in a cohort together, as he says. You know, you probably recognize that over the last two and a half years, it hasn't been very easy being a pastor. And uh, going through a pandemic, a once-in-a-century experience, and a lot of other things that occur, uh, a lot of pastors in the last two and a half years have found it easier to exit than to stay where they are. And uh, your pastor and Judy and Christopher, uh, Cynthia, uh, they've been here. And I think your pastor's done a fantastic job over these last two and a half years to give leadership to this congregation. Wouldn't you agree with that? that appreciate Pastor Dwayne. So I met my wife at Bible College. Jocelyn was the subject that I majored in. At the end of our second date, I told her that I really liked her, and I kissed her on the forehead, according to Bible college rules. And she said to me, a little lower, please. So I said to her, I really like you. And as you can tell, she was enamored with my sophisticated sense of humor, just like you are. And uh, so we've been married 44 years now. And uh, yeah. We have two boys and two wonderful daughters by marriage and five grandkids. So life for us is good. I'm a Canadian by birth and a Christian by choice. How about you? I want to talk to you about Jesus today, and I hope that's what you hear. Uh, you've come to hear God, not Bob, but I hope you might hear the words of God through Bob today. That would be the prayer. You know, I, I appreciate uh, Cynthia. Um, I was thinking as she was leading worship and she was singing, I was thinking about dynamite. I was thinking how dynamite comes in small packages, but it's pretty powerful, eh? That's your Cynthia. Wow. I get to connect with Cynthia every week. We don't talk, but she communicates with me. She sends on uh, some interesting uh, pieces of information. And uh, she talks about your church. So on the monitor, you'll see a picture right now of Pastor Duane and his family. Um, 
I'm not sure how long ago this picture was taken, but when you look at them, you'll see that they're healthy. And they're healthy today, too, because when you look at that picture and you look at them now, they have changed. We all age, right? That's what life does to us. Um, we get older. Um, us guys, we lose our hair. Although I think Pastor Dwayne's doing a way better job than I've been doing uh, about that. And when you see a picture like this and you see them today, you think, you know, that's pretty natural. That's good. Healthy things change. Families grow. Uh, we look different than we did 10 or 12 years ago. And churches are the same way. Churches that are healthy change. They look different than they did 10 years ago or five years ago. People get saved. People come to the church. There's a, a kind of different face with the church. New people, new life. And, and that's all fantastic, and that's the way churches should be. And when I talk to Cynthia, Cynthia lets me know how things go on Sundays. And so one of the things that she talks to me about are how many newcomers have come to Bethel Family Worship Center each week. And to tell you the truth, I've been astounded because I track with churches across Alberta as part of my role as a coach, but I also track across Canada. And so I'm pretty familiar with uh, a lot of churches about your size. And uh, she shared with me that this past year, the number of newcomers that you have had. So think about that. What would you guess is the number of newcomers to your church in total over the last 12 months? What do you think that number might be? What would you guess? Get a number in your mind. Maybe you're a newcomer today. Maybe you've been in uh, this church for only uh, a month, maybe two months. Maybe you started in January. Maybe today's your first day. And that's great. You're a part of a very friendly uh, congregation here. They love Jesus, and they want everybody to know about Jesus, so that's good. But how many newcomers do you think you've had? How many? Okay, a bit more. Um, yeah, a bit more. Well, I won't have you guess too much longer. I'm going to put the number on the screen right now. This is the number of newcomers that you have had in the last 12 months. That's incredible. I'll tell you why it's incredible. It's a big deal. Because if, if uh, this church is your church, coming here, you're familiar with it. You know where you sit. And uh, there's actually a couple from your church. Uh, their name are Ron and Maxine Ball. They now, they moved down to the Edmonton area. They're actually in my Bible study at Life Church in Edmonton. So this week, I told them I was coming up to St. Paul. They said to say hello to the people who sit with them. And they said they always sit in the back corner on the left side. And if I look back there, I would see Peter and Virginia McCarris. So who's back there? There he's waving at me, yeah. Left corner, Peter and Virginia McCarris. So Ron and Maxine, say hello. <laughs> when you come in, you kind of sit in the same place usually, right? You kind of get your seat. doesn't have a name on it, but you know it's yours. When a new person comes in, though, I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of effort for someone in St. Paul or somewhere in this community to come into this building. They're not quite sure what's going to happen when they come in. And, and so it takes a lot of effort to get here. That's why 351 newcomers in your church in the last month, that's pretty extraordinary. I pastored a church that averaged 1,700 people every week. And over the course of a year, we had an average of 450 newcomers. So think about that, 1,700 on Sundays, you're usually around 160, 170, something like that. That's a big difference, but the numbers are almost the same. That says quite something. 
That's, that's a real testimony to your church. And Cynthia also reports to me about some of the things that occur in terms of attendance. So since November, and you'll see the, uh, the number here, you've had a 38% increase in growth. So that's, that's phenomenal too. So if you're, you're new here, this church is moving forward. There's something about this church. There's a, there's a story here. You're being a light to your congregation. And all of that is, is so, so very good. You know, when I think about light, I think about Pastor Christopher. Uh, I love working with him. Uh, I love the videos he makes. We got to work at uh, family camp at Moose Lake a couple of years ago. That's where I first met him. And uh, Pastor Christopher loves making videos. If you've seen his video on his Facebook page about hunting wild boar, that's incredible. I'm not sure that Christopher ever sleeps. He's always up at night taking pictures. And this is my favorite picture from his Facebook page. Isn't that a great picture? The cross on your property and the, the northern lights. It's just a, a wonderful version and view of what God is all about. You know, Jesus had something to say about light. He has some pretty important things to say about light. And I'd like to turn your attention to what he had to say. If you have a Bible with you, if you have your iPhone or your smartphone, maybe you read your Bible uh, on a phone, which is great, as long as you're reading your Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 is where I'd like to take you. Matthew, or Matthew chapter 5, sorry, and verse 14. That's where I'd like to take you this morning. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Because I'd like you to um, hear what Jesus has to say about light. Jesus said that I am the light. But then he was in front of a whole crowd of people, and he turned the attention to them. And what he says is sounding pretty audacious, because they were just normal, average people who wanted to hear about Jesus. Um, They all came from small towns. And they were on a hillside, as Jesus shares this, and he says a couple of pretty profound things to them. And you'll see in verse 14 uh, what Jesus says. He says to them, you, he points to them, and he says, you, I'm the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he goes on to say this. He says that, like, if you have a light, you wouldn't take that light and and put it under a bowl, right? You would let that light shine. So the whole idea is to allow that light to shine so the whole house has light. And so he encourages the people that he's speaking with, let your light shine around you, in front of the people, so that they can see. And I want to talk to you about three things. I want to make this really simple. How to be a light in your community. How to shine. Three steps to shine. And uh, if you have a, a pen or a paper, a notepad, or if you even just have the back of your welcome card, or maybe an offering envelope, I'd like you to just mark these three things down. Because these three things can change lives of people in your family, the people you go to school with, the people you work with, uh, wherever you might work in this area. Three things. And so if we can go to that slide, it says right at the top, three steps to shine. If you're able to move on with that. Three steps to shine. Okay, here we go. First step is simply this. Recognize open doors. Recognize open doors. Every day I get up and I pray this prayer. Lord, today, who do you want me to connect with? And invariably, someone's name comes to mind, or sometime later in the day, 
I encounter somebody and I say, Lord, is, is that the person you want me to talk with? And so be able to either make a phone call if it's someone who's not available or engage somehow with that person in front of me. So recognize open doors. You know, every day that you live, there are people around you who need your light. There are people who need Jesus. And so you want to recognize open doors. And then you want to act in the moment. Act in these moments. When you see an open door, when you feel prompted by God to, to engage someone else, um, act in these moments because those moments may not come again. There are opportunities that might only come in that moment. That's why I prayed, Lord, today, who do you want me to connect with? So when I got up this morning, I prayed that. And so I'm thinking, people who are going to show up at Bethel Family Worship Center, these are the people that God wants me to connect with, the, the people to be able to share um, a word with. And, and so the idea is to act in these moments. And, and this message that I'm sharing with you today, I believe is specifically for this area, for St. Paul, to be a light. You are a light and how we can engage people with that. So you want to recognize open doors. You want to act in these moments. And thirdly, you want to point people to Jesus. You want to point people to Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus can be as simple as listening. God may direct you to somebody that he doesn't want you to talk to, but he wants you to listen to, to hear their story, to see where they're coming from. Maybe an act of kindness God wants you to engage someone in an act of kindness. The whole idea of making a casserole or baking a dozen cookies or a, a plate of uh, fudge, whatever might be your specialty. And someone who needs just someone to be kind to them, that God would direct you in your heart to go and engage with them and be able to do something kind for them. I'm not sure about you, but invariably when I do that as well, it's like, well, how did you know? How did you know? Like, this means the world to me. This, this, I don't bake cookies. But the engagement with them, um, it's like, it's exactly what they needed. And you can rely on God to show you open doors. And if you'll act in those moments and point people to Jesus, there is that opportunity to see fantastic things happen, miracles happen. This is a picture of a, um, a wall in the lobby of a church in Edmonton. And they have this right on their wall. They say, who will you invite? Who will you invite? And they have business card-sized invitations uh, that they make available to their people so that they can, when they pray and they say, God, who do you want me to engage with? They can pass on this note, and it's an invitation uh, to their church. Do you know the nine most powerful words that can change a person's life, that can change a Canadian's life? The nine most powerful words? They're simply this. Will you come to church with me this Sunday. Do you know that the majority of Canadians would respond to an invitation from someone that they know to go to their church? And that there's a lot of Canadians and there's people in St. Paul that are just waiting for someone to say to them those nine words. Would you come to church with me this Sunday? Signs are great. Billboards are great. Advertisements are great. But a personal invitation, because I tell you what, there is no better place to encounter Jesus than in a gathering of Christians. Like, this was dynamic this morning. There's a lot of good things that are happening within this congregation. That when you come in together and you're with each other, and I, when we were doing the greeting time, I said to one of the ladies, it's pretty noisy in here. Like, there's a lot of people who like being together, and there's conversation, and there's engagement. And when you have that, that's the beginning of feeling like part of a community. 
And when you invite people to join with you at church, you get to hear Pastor Dwayne or Pastor Christopher. You get to hear people talk about Jesus. You get to hear Jesus share words like these on the next uh, screen. That they are quoted from the book of John. And Jesus says, I have told you these things, he's talking to his closest disciples, so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world you're going to face trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. This is powerful from Jesus. What he's saying to them is this, your world may be a mess, but that doesn't mean that you have to be one. And what he's really saying in our vernacular is, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. That there is hope. And that is one of the most powerful words in our language. I like to think of the idea of hope, and hope not being wishful thinking, um, hope not being wishful thinking, but hope um, being something that is not an ignorance of reality. It doesn't ignore all the facts. Hope is a, an, a power that we have that works in our lives. Uh, hope is a certainty of future good. Hope is solid. Uh, hope, I like to think of it as a rope. Hope is a rope. I like things that kind of rhyme and that I can remember. And if you can think of your relationship with God as a rope, and I'm going to put this end over towards the cross, and let that be God's end, because he showed us how much he cares for us in coming to our earth to become like us. But if you can imagine that hope is a rope, your relationship with God is a rope, the Bible tells us, and you'll see the next verse, that we have this hope as an anchor, secure and firm. You see, hope is a rope anchored in Jesus. And when you have that hope, the encouragement is to hold on a little longer. That relationship with God, seen as a rope, God has an end, and we have an end. But God has no control over if we'll pick up our end or not. That our end's available to pick up, but God has no control over that. It becomes our choice. It's a personal choice to say yes to God, right? And if you said yes to God, you understand what that's all about. When you pick up your end, God has no control over if you will hold on to your end. That you might feel led away from the things you've been taught. Or, or maybe you feel angry at God because he's let you down. Or maybe you feel like you've just become distant from God. And what does God do in that moment? If we let our end of the rope down? Well, at God's end of the rope, what he is saying is simply this. I'm still holding my end of the rope. There are no conditions that would cause me to let go of my end of the rope. That I will always hold my end of the rope. And if you drop your end of the rope, all you need to do is pick it up again. And when you tug, it'll be firm and secure because God is there for you. This could be your day to pick up your own end of the rope. To be able to say... I've been understanding about God and I'm here in this church and maybe it's not your first time, but you've never made that personal choice to say yes to Jesus. And this would be the day you would do that. And you can pick up the rope. And when you experience that, you understand what hope is all about. You see, when you need hope, 
It's because things are desperate. The odds are stacked against you. That defeat is more certain than victory. And you may feel the chill of despair because of the circumstances you're facing. You see, you need hope when your marriage is on the rocks. You need hope when your teenagers are off the rails. You need hope when you get a devastating diagnosis. You need hope when you're facing surgery that needs to save your life. My wife Jocelyn understands about hope, and that's why she's here to share and tell a story. Um, Jocelyn doesn't usually get to travel with me because her mom is 91 years old, and her mom lives with us because she broke her neck. And uh, that's the story of hope for a whole other day. But uh, Jocelyn is here to be able to share her story of her experience with God and what occurred in her life in a very special way where God reminded her that he was holding on to his end of the rope. that handshake. Sorry, I only seem to have got to this side. So that the little girl that was down here, to the rest of you, you just never know what kids are going to do, right? Our youngest granddaughter is four years old. We lovingly refer to her as a hot mess. Uh, they say they, she takes after her grandma, but it would be the other grandma, not me. Uh, anyway, you just, children are unpredictable. And I want to, uh, sorry, I'm gathering my thoughts. I want to thank the worship team this morning. So often when you travel, I appreciate the fact that God's spirit lets those who are leading worship, without them even knowing, to pick songs that are so pertinent for the topic for today. So thank you, Cynthia, for listening to the Spirit of God, because that was amazing. I love the vibe and the feel in this building. Church should be fun. And I had fun this morning. Well, I had fun thus far. You know, we'll see how it goes for the rest of it. <laughs> She's, yeah. Roxanne is saying that because we are blowing up balloons this morning with uh, Pastor Judy, and <laughs> I blew one up too much, and it burst, and we all screamed, and, you know, we're shocked. But anyway, back to what I'm supposed to do, right, Bob? So I need you all to use your imaginations. Imagine with me that you are seated in a deck chair on a cruise ship in the middle of the beautiful Caribbean. The sun is shining there's not a cloud in the sky, and the sea is calm. There's blue skies above you and blue water below you. You have a book opened on your lap, and you are in the middle of a great read. That was me, sitting there minding my own business on a long-awaited holiday, not a care in the world. And I heard these words, you're going to be okay. I lifted my eyes off the page and thought, interesting, I'm going to be okay. Then I went back to reading and I heard it again. You're going to be okay. So I kind of looked around, but there was no one seated next to me or by me. But I had distinctly heard those words, you're going to be okay. So I closed the book that I was reading and I thought to myself, is something going to happen? Is something going to happen to Bob? Like, I know he's aging, and, but to my knowledge, he's in good health. Am I going to become a widow at 
you know, a young age. Is something going to happen to him? Mm, maybe. You're going to be okay. I thought, oh, no. The ship is going to sink. We're out here. There's no land in sight. I'll be swimming with the fishes. There's no way. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise ship, but when you look at those lifeboats, there's no way they're going to get everybody in those lifeboats. So I'm thinking, the ship's going to go down, and I'm going to have to swim. No, I don't know. So I thought, well, it's not really imminent. I don't really feel in danger. But what does it mean you're going to be okay? So I parked that little thought inside my head, and I enjoyed the rest of my holiday. Shortly after we got back home, I had a doctor's appointment. It was scheduled before I had left, and my doctor had ordered some routine tests, the typical ones for women, you know, the mammograms and visit the gynecologist. Um, so off I went to my appointments, not con concerned about anything. It was all routine, just routine, until the day I got the call that I had been waiting for, but not the call that I had expected. I was working at the church. Both Bob and I were there that day, and he was about to, he was already in the main auditorium, just about to start a funeral when my phone rang. I picked it up, and it really was a brief one-sided conversation where I heard the doctor on the other end of the line say to me, we've found some suspicious cells, and I'm so sorry to tell you that you have cancer. Well, when you hear that word, the cancer word is a very scary word. And when you hear it, truthfully, it's like time stands still and everything else moves on around you, but you're just stuck in one place. And that's how I felt. So I listened while she explained to me that, you know, and an oncologist would be calling me and I would require surgery. And then I said to her, well, so what you're saying to me is I have cancer. And she said, yes, that's what I'm telling you. And then the next thing I said was, well, thank you for calling me today. And I put the phone down. Usually the office had lots of people in it, but that morning there was only one worker who heard, she, and she heard me say out loud, so what you're telling me is I have cancer. So I turned to her and said to her, I need you to go get Bob. So she went and she got him just before he stepped on the platform to do the funeral. And I went into his office just because I, I needed a moment. So when he came in, I told him about the call. And it was then that I heard those words again. You're going to be okay. So Bob prayed with me and I said to him, it's not my funeral you're doing today. Go back out there and do the funeral that you're supposed to be. And I went out, and I packed up, and I went home. I had a lot to do that day, and I was a tiny bit annoyed because I thought, well, you know, cancer's a big deal. Perhaps I should give this a second thought. I wasn't angry, or I wasn't asking why, because I've lived my life not saying, why me, God, but saying, well, why not me, God? You're there for everything. So the stuff of life, why not me? And then I had to wait. Have any of you been in the waiting room between something and you're waiting for the next? Well, I had to wait. I had to wait for two months, eight weeks. I purposed in the waiting room in those, that time period not to go down the rabbit hole of despair. 
I stayed off the internet. I didn't Google the type of cancer that I had. At times, I had to take captive those thoughts in my mind, the what-if thoughts. Sometimes reading scripture helped. Sometimes I literally had to talk out loud to myself and say, you can't think that way. You can't believe that. And I had to repeat scripture to myself, and I had to say, you know, pick up your boots, Jocelyn. You're going to be okay. I had to change that narrative in my mind. This I know. This I knew. This I know now still. Is one, Jesus loves me. Two, that I am a child of God. I am his daughter. Three, yes, I believe that the plans he has for me are good. And four, that he could heal me. He could heal me instantly, or he could heal me through the knowledge of the physicians and the surgeons and with modern medicine. After all, he's the one that gave them their brains. So whatever he wanted to do, I was okay with that. We've lived in St. Albert since 1990, and for years we have driven past the Cross Cancer Hospital in Edmonton, have even visited people with inside that hospital, and I never thought that I would be a patient. But now I would be walking through those doors, not as a visitor, but as a cancer patient. My oncologist was patient to explain to me what type of cancer I had and the necessary surgery and follow-up. It was a lot of information that I needed to process, and I had Bob and my oldest son there with me to ask the questions and to listen for me because I was shell-shocked. Even knowing that thought that I was going to be okay, I was still shell-shocked with the news. What does you're going to be okay mean? I had to come to the honest truth, a settled conviction that whether in life or in death, I was going to be okay. Philippians 1.20 says, I e and this is Paul, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I was to be the recipient of a new a robotic surgery called the Da Vinci. You can actually YouTube this and go see the type of surgery. Um, it, it's, it was such, God's timing is always interesting because this surgery had just come into the cross cancer. I had major surgery that required no further chemo or radiation and at follow-up my oncologist said, I never expect to see you again. Go live your life. Thank God. In my journey, I found that there were many great, great organizations for cancer um, patients, for people who, and spouses and families and friends that were going through cancer. And maybe some of you have hooked into some of these organizations. But I couldn't find a faith-based one. So I started a group called Supporting the Fighters, which was to include spouses and friends and family of cancer survivors and those still in the midst of their journey. 
I met many women in St. Albert who came to the church and to my home, not coming from a faith background, but they just needed someone to talk to. They needed to be able to tell their story and to hand them a Kleenex when they cried and to put an arm around them and tell them that they were loved and I understood. Many of them allowed me to pray with them and they weren't coming from a faith background. I am fully convinced, friends, that the stuff of life will come in many different ways to us. Not everyone in here will have a cancer story. Some of you will. But you will have your story, and it's not always roses. But I am convinced of this, that when you love Jesus and you ask him to be the Lord of your life, that he can redeem any pain that you are going through, that he can make it worthwhile for someone else. Because we go through these things, not just for ourselves, but we go through them to encourage others. So let me say to you today, no matter what you're going through, you're going to be okay because God is for you, not against you. Jocelyn's my better half. And uh, Jocelyn recognized an open door. And she acted in the moment and pointed people to Jesus. That's our front door. And so she invited, as you heard her share, people from our community who are facing cancer to come in and sit in our living room, have a cup of tea or a coffee, and just and talk about their situation and talk about Jesus. Um, just the opportunity to be a light. Uh, we wrote a book by the title of You're Going to Be Okay, and it's the story of Jocelyn's story plus 10 other women. And the interesting thing was when we spoke to each of these 10 women, um, and we asked them, if you could have one thing in the midst of your crisis, what would you want? And they all said to know that we were going to be okay. And, and that's why, in addition to Jocelyn's word, we called the book You're Going to Be Okay. One of the people in the book, her name is Vian King, uh, Vian, when she was 23 years old, was diagnosed with transverse myelitis. And then the di that diagnosis uh, confined her to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And you can, you can imagine, I don't have to tell the whole story. But what's fascinating is that Vian uh, chose hope. And uh, she chose to, to believe that with God she'd be okay. She turned her wheelchair into a platform. She became nominated as the first wheelchair uh, Miss, Miss Canada, and actually won and then competed universally, the Miss Universe wheelchair, and actually won Miss Congeniality. And all of that was an opportunity to share Jesus everywhere that she went with other people. She made lifetime friends um, around the world. But you see, that's what it is to shine your light, to recognize an open door, even if it's a wheelchair, to, to use these moments and point people to Jesus. Um, that's what it is to shine a light. I want to close with the story of Connie Jacob. And I was going to say about Vian. Vian would be awesome. If you're thinking of planning a women's event in the fall where you can invite people from your community, she would be fantastic to bring to St. Paul and just have women get to meet her and to hear her story. This past week, two weeks ago, she was the speaker at the prayer breakfast for the mayor of Edmonton. And just listening to him talk about her uh, was, was fantastic. So bring her in. She, she'd be glad to come. She'd stay on a Sunday, be able to talk here as well. Uh, once you meet Vian, you'll never forget her. Connie Jacob, that next picture that I mentioned, is, is a friend of ours as well. Now here's 
the thing about Connie. A lot of times you may think that public schools in our nation or, or high schools may have a resistance to things about Jesus. Actually, Connie is invited into public schools in Saskatchewan, Alberta, and BC to talk about hope. And she was in Medicine Hat this past week, and she was meeting with students. These are grade four, five, and six students. I want to make sure I get the right mic here now. Um, and she asked them this question. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? And I'm going to show you what those students said. Now, remember, these are grade five, six uh, students, four, five, six. And I was going to read what's on um, the chart that you'll see, but I wanted you to actually hear in the voice of a child. So we have three grandkids. I called my son yesterday, and I said, would you have your daughters read this? The two older ones who are actually in grade four and six said they couldn't read the words. So their younger sister in grade one, this is her voice. But I'd like you to hear these words. This is from a school called Elm Street Medicine Hat. It's a great school. And uh, these are, again, students that answered the question, how do you feel? So just going to go with Hank, and I'm going to turn my speaker on here so you can hear these words. Interesting. Jocelyn, could you do me a favor? Could you turn my hearing aids there? I took them out because I thought this would impede it. Would you just take the batteries out of each one? Maybe that's going to fix this. Just, okay. Maybe Dwayne knows. I don't know. Us old people, we know stuff like, like hearing aids. <laughs> okay, sorry. This is where practicing ahead of time is always a benefit. There we go. Perfect. It's okay. It's okay. I hope you'll be able to hear this. I hope that fixes this. So you can hear the child's voice, right? These were students that answered that way. Connie sat with them and then asked them to talk into each other's lives. Now, this is a public school. It's not a religious environment. It's not a Christian school. To talk into each other's lives to encourage each other, what they see in each other. And she said the whole class shifted from the words that you just heard to a moment of affirmation and smiles and and. This is what she does all across uh, Western Canada. And the reason why it's so important is because these are students, like in your schools, that may not be in a church, that may not have connection to hope or to Jesus. And the, 
like, what would happen if Pastor Duane talked to the principals here in St. Paul and just said, you know, Connie Jacob travels throughout Canada. She's approved by education. She speaks in high schools and public schools. What if she came to our school and be able to talk to our students and had them have an experience? And she could be a light here. And, uh, and Connie would be happy to come here any time in the next year, like next fall or next winter. But just the opportunity to have somebody who can come in and be able to share hope. I'll close with the idea that maybe today you're here, and God's end of the rope, he's holding it, but your end is still to be picked up. And maybe it's because you, you know Jesus, but you're going through circumstances that are hard. And maybe what Jocelyn shared or what we shared resonates with you, and you recognize, you know, it's almost like Bob and Jocelyn were reading my mail. They understand me. They know what I'm feeling. They know what I'm going through. They, they know that I've, I feel like giving up the rope. I'm not sure there's any hope. Um, but I, we would encourage you today, hold on to that rope. You see, hope is a rope anchored in Jesus. Hold on a little longer. And if today you've come and you haven't made a choice to f- ask Jesus into your life as your personal Savior, then what greater day than this to be able to say, I'm going to pick up that rope. That God's holding at the other end, I'm going to pick up that rope. Because I want to start that relationship with him. You can do that by simply acknowledging that God made you to have a relationship with him. But sin separates us from that relationship. But that's why Jesus came, so he could restore that relationship. And that becomes our choice. Our choice to pick up this rope is to simply change our thinking, to change our thinking towards God, and to surrender by picking up this rope and looking to God. And if you would make that choice today, I would invite each and every one of you to bow your heads with me. I'm just going to close off um, and then turn it back to Pastor Duane. would give an invitation in this house to say yes to Jesus, to pick up that rope, to say that I, I want to have this relationship with God and I want to begin it now. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would just indicate to me, Bob, that's my choice today. You came all the way from Edmonton. You and your wife shared these stories. They spoke to me, and I want to start a relationship with Jesus today. Will you just simply lift up your hand until I see it, and then I would invite you to take it down. 